today on Ag News Daily. A diverse area of North Dakota with uh, a lot of cattle and, and still quite a bit of cropland as well. And Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here coming to you from the very windy streets of the Windy City, joined as always by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing today? I'm good. It's not quite as windy here in Des Moines, but we're supposed to get another storm front moving through today so we could get some more snow. I'm not really excited to drive down to Kansas City in what could be some inclement weather. Ooh, how much snow are they talking? I have not seen the weather uh, for central Iowa. I think just an inch at most, so not a ton of snow, but it's been really cold lately too, so we've been getting some ice packion, and I always hate driving on ice. Yeah, yeah, that black ice is always fun mm-hmm. to take a road trip on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you tell us, what are you? what is taking you down to Kansas City? Well, I will be going to the National Association of Farm Broadcasters Convention that we've been chatting a little bit about here on the podcast, and so we'll be bringing you some content from down there here really over the next two weeks, probably. Probably. Lots of great folks down there all getting together. It is a room full of people who sound like this all the time. <laughs> it is a collection of the nation's finest farm broadcasters yes. all coming together and speaking with one another in their farm broadcaster voices. It is a fantastic place to go if you have ears. Yes, it is. Um, that is exciting. But before you hit the road, we better get to news, Delaney Howell. Yes, we'd better, Mike. I want to follow up with yesterday's story that I reported. Really, the big headline I was watching and still watching today is the Dean Foods bankruptcy. I didn't realize this yesterday when we reported the podcast, but apparently Dean Foods is the U.S.'s largest milk producer, and they have a hundred different... Let me double-check this. Um, But the largest U.S. milk producer, which I didn't realize at the time, their sales were down apparently about 7% the first six months of this year, and profits sank by 14 cents, or excuse me, 14%, and shares Ah. have lost over 80% of their value in 2019. So that was part of the reason that they um, declared bankruptcy. But just some general facts about milk consumption in general, because I also thought that this was really interesting. And that's just the amount of milk that U.S. consumes now has really declined since about World War II era. And so Damian Mason, who we've had on the podcast before, who also does a great ag podcast, reported this on his Facebook page. And I thought this was really interesting. World War II, fluid milk. Do you want to guess how much fluid milk the average American person drank around the World War II era? Per year, per day, per month? Per year. 56 gallons. You're close, 47. Today. 47 gallons of milk, yeah. 17. 17, yes. How did you know that? Did you look him up? Uh, no, I just know these things, Delaney, because okay. I am a professional in our industry. So, of course, I just keep these numbers yeah. at the top of my head. Mm-hmm. All the no, I saw Damien's post on Facebook. I thought that was crazy. Yeah, you know, I mean, think about how few people are willing to take the time to have a healthy breakfast, you know, let right. alone have That's milk with, with dinner. You know, so many folks are content to run over to sodas or water. You know, water's been a big mm-hmm. replacer of milk with uh, mealtime over the past several decades. I remember when I was a kid, we used to go out for pizza, and we'd always get pizza and milk. And that <laughs> was what we always had, and it just seemed so natural. And then at some point... We started drinking, you know, soda with our pizza, yeah. and, you know, then that became natural. And it's just, 
you know, it's interesting how dietary trends change mm-hmm. and how industries are forced to adapt. The good news is, despite the decline in fluid milk consumption, Americans have drastically increased their consumption of products like cheese. And ice cream and other things. So absolutely. But the president of the International Dairy Foods Association, Michael Dykes, released a statement discussing Dean's bankruptcy as well. And so we know that it seems like at this point in time that large dairy cooperative is probably going to be the one that steps in and buys Dean Foods. But Dykes also made the comment that, you know, not only has Americans' consumption of milk dropped, but we're also now seeing so many consumers switch to products like almond milk and other things. So it sounds like that is going to be part of the plan for whatever company buys Dean Foods is they're going to do a lot more to incorporate those plant-based or alternative milk substitutes into part of their business model. Mm, interesting. Interesting. The various nut juices and so forth. Yes, nut juices. Well, let's see. While we're talking livestock, we've got a report out from Rabobank. It's not groundbreaking, but it does confirm some of the speculation that has been swirling around African swine fever in China. Rabobank has come out and said that China's hog herd will take more than five years to recover from the African swine fever outbreak. They say that their pork herd, their hog herd, has declined by 50%, which is a number we've heard floated around by several analysts. And they do say that their pork market won't stabilize until 2025 and that meat imports won't make up for the shortfall. So what they're concerned about is that we are going to see the Chinese consumer pushed away from pork by high prices and continue to look at other other protein substitutes, poultry being the, the main one, but you know potentially also beef for some of the higher income uh, Chinese folks. Yeah, and that leads me to the question, too. I wonder if the Chinese will also look at alternative meat sources like plant-based meats because, I mean, soy is a big part of the Chinese diet as well. Uh, So it would be interesting to me to see how much of that increases as well during their shortage of protein. Right, right. Yes, alternative meats. Yeah, I wonder how much that will play a role in it as well. Something to keep an eye on, that's for sure, Mike. But yeah. Oop, Go ahead, Delaney. What say, else you got for us? And another report that was released yesterday was the Crop Progress Report. Oh, or, yes, I forgot. We haven't talked about it. Yeah, we haven't. came out yesterday because of Veterans Day this week. But corn came in at 66% harvested compared to the five-year average. We're usually at 85% harvested for this time of year. And then when you look at soybeans... They were actually at 85%, but their five-year average is 92%. So it does seem like soybeans, they're pretty close to where the average is, but corn is still significantly off where we usually are for this time of year. And I uh, saw an interesting chart, trying to think. It was on Twitter. I believe it was Karen Braun. Uh, She always does some interesting charts, but she put together one that showed really just like over the past, I think it was... 30-ish years where corn harvest has sat and this one is definitely there's only two other years where we were slower than this oh wow i'm gonna guess 2009 and 1983 i don't remember the two years to be honest with you then i'm confident those were the two years (laughs) okay 
if at first you don't know, then well, sound confident and power through. <laughs> well, the other thing was, okay, I've got it pulled back up. I'll send it to you, but there are so many different lines that are all kind of like vaguely the same color. It's hard to tell exactly what those two years are. I'm going to guess there are about 30 different lines on that chart, Delaney. Yeah, but there are, I'm saying there are so many different colors that are just like varying ah, shades. But I think one gotcha. of them is definitely 92 or 2015. Oh, I'm not really sure. Okay. I'll send it well, to you. Speaking of different colors, the nation's ag lenders are getting together down in Dallas, Texas this week for the ABA's Ag Bankers Annual Conference, and they are concerned with two colors, Delaney, black and red. Who is in the black and who is in the red? The uh, organization Farmer Mac did a study, the uh, Agricultural Lender Survey. I know we've talked about some of the details, but they've got a couple more that have come out, namely that... Um, they are concerned that farmers are starting to leverage their land more than they were in the past. They're basically looking to draw down on equity rather than um, – not rather than, but in addition to trying to um, t take money out of the markets. Um, basically, the survey found that farmers are increasingly worried about cash flow problems. 46% of bankers in, blah, 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 expect an increase in loans secured by farmland for the 1920 growing year, up from 37% for the previous year. So 10% more bankers are thinking they're going to be making land loans to free up some equity for growers to make it through these tough times. That has a lot of lenders concerned, even though the farmland market has been staying relatively stable over the past couple of years, mainly because there just hasn't been a lot of farmland listed for sale. Yes, and I would like to add to that a little bit as well. The Farm Bureau Federation put together a study. It's about two weeks old now, but uh, they focused on, again, the same, same things you're looking at there, but also farm bankruptcies. And so they've put together here that the 12-month period that just ended in September showed a bankruptcy level of about 24%, which is pretty high. It's at the highest level since 2011, with about 580 filings happening during that 12-month period. And what's more, Mike, is we've seen really huge increases. They've got a really nice chart here breaking up the regions of the U.S. by Northwest, Midwest, Mid-Atlantic, etc., all of these areas that are broken down have increases. The Midwest actually increased the least amount except for the very northeast corner. Um, but the Northwest was increased about 74% in bankruptcies. The West and Southwest were up 42 to 65%. So really it just highlights to show you it's not just in the Midwest because when I think of Chapter 12 bankruptcies, I'm thinking... Unfortunately, the dairy producers, because they've always yeah. got a tough time. But this just goes to show, I think, that all sectors of agriculture are really having a tough time and have been having a tough time the past 12 months. That's true. Uh, we were having that conversation here in the Zaner offices not that long ago. This has been a year where everybody has gotten kicked in the teeth, but also the market has also had decent marketing times throughout the year, they've just been extremely short-lived, which has been frustrating for a lot of growers and who just, you know, have had too much uncertainty to be able to capitalize on, uh, capitalize on these opportunities when they've 
popped up and then they just pop right back away so quickly. Absolutely. Well, we've got some comments made that should speak well for the U.S. economy. Jerome Powell testified earlier today to the Joint Economic Committee of Congress, and he said the Fed is expecting to see a, quote, sustained expansion ahead for the economy. The full impact of recent rate cuts, he said, still haven't been felt, and we're going to continue to see low unemployment boosting household spending. That includes spending on very cool things like... Pork and beef, which are things we need to keep demand up if we're going to keep these rallies sustained, or at least, uh, you know, in the pork market side of things, keep it from falling apart, given the incredible surge of domestic production we've had over the past, uh, you know, 12, 13 months. You know, um, I was reading some reports put together by the National Pork Checkoff Board and um, looking at domestic growth for pork, they did some different analytics, I suppose you could say, on different demographics, and they show that Hispanic pork buying is really the largest growth potential for the U.S. markets. I thought that was kind of interesting, too. Absolutely. You know, it kind of builds on what we were talking about yesterday with the It's Pork O'Clock Somewhere campaign. <laughs> Those tacos al pastor yep. um going to be in, in high demand. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I think that's kind of cool, kind of neat. It is. It's kind of fantastic. It's great to see different culinary traditions becoming a part of the American way. Delaney, what do you say? Should we see if any culinary traditions are helping spur demand for corn, soybeans, wheat, cattle, hogs, and dairy with the market prices? Let's do it. All right, folks. And uh, they're not, I guess, is the short form here. We've got red pretty much in every market today. Looking first at the grains, December corn was down one and three quarter cents at 376 even. The March contract down two and a quarter to close at 384 and a quarter. Over in soybeans, that January contract was off one and three quarter cents, closed the day at 915 and a quarter, well off the, the highs of the day. The uh, bleh, November 2020 contract contract was down two cents at 955 and a quarter jumping down to chicago wheat the december contract dropped eight and a quarter cents after yesterday's rally finished the day at 508 and three quarters the march contract down eight and a quarter as well to finish at 513 and a half looking over at livestock we saw the first real sell-off in this cattle market then been on a three-month rally in live cattle. The December contract dropped a dollar sixty-five to finish at one eighteen ten. February down a dollar forty-seven fifty. Closed the day at one twenty-four ten. And feeder cattle. The November contract was down two dollars twenty-two and a half cents at one forty-five fifty-seven fifty. The January contract touched limit down and rode that bottom road for quite a little while, but ended up finishing off of limit. Closed down four dollars and thirty cents at one forty-two eighty-two fifty. And in lean hogs, the December contract. Contract dropped a dollar sixty to sixty three twelve fifty. The February down a dollar even. Finished the day at seventy four fifty five. Looking over at the dairy industry, this was the only market that had some green in it. The November class three milk contract was up thirteen cents on the day at twenty seventeen. The December up twelve cents. Finished the day at eighteen eighty one. Delaney, why don't you tell us who are we talking to for today's interview? Well, Mike, before I head down to the National Association of Farm Broadcasters Convention, I want to play one more, a little more upbeat, fun conversation with a producer, rancher, I should say, out of North Dakota, who's got a very diversified operation, and that is Jerry Doan. Well, as agriculturalists continue to diversify their operation, I'm talking to Probably one of the most diverse far farmers I've ever come across, and that's Jerry Doan, owner of the Black Leg Ranch up in 
in, uh, Jerry, is it North Dakota or South Dakota? Remind me. Mackenzie, North Dakota. Mackenzie, North Dakota. Tell me about that part of the state. Well, we're just uh, southeast of Bismarck, just off the Missouri River um, in southern Burley County. Uh, my, uh, It's a, a diverse area of North Dakota with uh, a lot of cattle and, and still quite a bit of cropland as well. And, and so... Uh, you know, off off the Missouri River is a pretty area in North Dakota, so we're kind of proud of that. You know, my great-grandfather came out of Canada in 1880 in what was then Dakota Territory, and he built a sod house here on, on this piece of ground in 1882. And so we've been here ever since for a few generations, and we're kind of proud of that heritage. Wow, 1882 is a long time to be in one area. <laughs> I'm sure that the farm does, or the ranch does not look the same as it did in 1882. Tell me about the transition from that farm and ranch way back when until today. Well, I always say I don't think we have a clue. We think we have hard times. We don't know what it was like trying to put food on the table or keep warm and in a sod house in 1882, but there's been a lot of changes, obviously. It started as a 160 acres and grew, and every generation has added and grown. And, you know, I'm fortunate, I guess, in that uh, I have three boys, and they all went off to college across the the country and, and worked and then decided they wanted to come back to North Dakota and be a part of agriculture and and uh, and and loved North Dakota, and so that's really exciting. But it creates issues, and that's part of why we've diversified. I I said to all of them, you can't come back and expect to put all of that, all these families, on the backs of the cow herd. And so I, I asked them all, "What's your niche? What do you bring to the table?" And they've all come up with ideas that uh, have worked and help us diversify and make a profitable operation. I love that. You just, you didn't let them have the easy way out. You forced them to become business owners themselves in doing that. I think that's, that's really neat. Well, it's like I said, it's very exciting, but we're a family. It's not always perfect. Anybody out there that listens to this and involved in agriculture in a family way knows how challenging it is. Everybody's at their own, you know, level of, goals and a different stage of life and and trying to mesh that all together is probably the biggest challenge i think we have in agriculture and communications the key and we keep we keep working at that but i the good side of that is i'm really excited of what the boys have brought to the table and and uh and having them around it would be extremely boring if they weren't here so well, Jerry, let's talk about what they've each brought to the table. So you mentioned you had three sons, and each one of them have brought back maybe one or more <clears throat> business ideas to you. Tell me, what what are some of the... I, I I read a story that said you have over a dozen businesses within Black Leg Ranch. So tell me some of those businesses that they've brought back to you that you guys have since started. Sure. Well, the first one, my oldest boy, who graduated from North Coast State University, and he was like a lot of ranch kids grew up in 4-H and raised every kind of animal and critter that was on the face of the earth and 
And he started Rolling Plains Adventures and we're a full service hunting outfitting business. Uh, we're in the prime of it right now. It's uh, <clears throat> waterfowl and pheasants and both mule and white-tailed deer. And, and uh, you know, <clears throat> a lot of folks fly in. And uh, I always say when I, everybody's got an unfair advantage. One of the things I guess most people can't see their own unfair advantage and I would have never known, but ours was a major airport 25 miles away. And so it's allowed us to bring those kinds of folks in. So Rolling Plains Adventures has been on most of the national hunting shows. It's nationally acclaimed. And you meet a lot of great people from around the country. When I get to feeling kind of sad about the direction America is going in, I get to talk to these folks and I'm like, wow, there's still hope. People are still good and, and have the right values. So that's one of them. And then my middle son, he was the rebel that went off to Arizona State. And he actually worked for Anheuser-Busch and traveled around. And we always laughed he had it made because he was on the corporate credit card. And and uh, it was a great experience for him. He learned a lot. And, and he wanted to come back. And he we already had built infrastructure in that we had a grand lodge with a liquor license and a commercial kitchen and we had some other lodges we'd uh, refurbished from hired help houses to uh, uh, make the hunting work and he said I think I could take this to the next step and nobody's telling a positive I shouldn't say nobody but a lot of folks out there have a very negative image of agriculture and and i think i could get into agritourism and invite folks to the ranch and we could give them a positive image about agriculture so we have a lot of corporate events soil health tours pasture tours and then kind of an offshoot of that is we do a ton of western weddings now which i never would have dreamed we'd be involved in but again you meet a lot of really good people and and in our own way, we try to show them what ranch life is and the cattle industry is all about. And then regenerative agriculture, which we're very involved in here, and that's soil health and regenerating our natural resources, including agriculture. We get to tell that story to them. So that's two of the main niches. Now, my youngest son, he went to Montana State. He's, he's a cowboy and involved in rodeo and when he came home, he's he's the one that really wanted to take the cattle operation in a bit of a different direction. And so we are Autobahn certified bird friendly operation and we're selling beef and buffalo uh, meat now. And uh, so we'll see where that all takes us. It's, you know, it becomes, it's a fair amount of work, but it gets exciting. And I I would like to say one thing, we've had people from all 50 states and 40 foreign countries on the ranch. So we've really reached out to trying to spread a positive image for agriculture. Absolutely. I mean, that is so neat that you have all these different venues, but you still at the heart of it are farming and ranching and taking care of your cattle. But Jerry, I want to go back to something you mentioned there, and that's your regenerative agricultural practices. So you do row crop. You also have some cattle that you run there, but you still focus on taking care of the ground and being a steward of your land. Tell me about some of those practices that you have since employed on your farm. Well, it's I have a passion for this regenerative agriculture. I really believe that that's the direction agriculture is 
needs to go down. And, and it, when the consumer starts demanding it, then we'll be forced to do it. And I think we need to jumpstart because the consumer, and we've learned this from all the folks that come to our place, they're concerned about agriculture and they have a very negative tone about agriculture. And so we need to do some positive things image wise to change that. And the regenerative agriculture is huge. We've been no-till here for 25 years or so. It's been huge for us. But now we're, you know, we plant a 22 or so species cover crop mix, and and we have three goals in that. Number one is to get rid of our winter feed costs for our cows. We try to graze them. Our goal is to never feed a bale of hay to our cow herd. Now, we know we live in the northern plains, and you've got to have a backup plan because mother nature doesn't always treat you perfect but but our goal is still to cut those winter feed costs build the soil health back through that diversity of those cover crops and having the cattle on the land and then number three is to propagate the wildlife and you know i'm happy to report to you and your listeners all three of those goals have have really moved forward and so we're pretty proud of that we think that uh, you know one of my major goals as a rancher is to pass that this ranch on to these boys that have come back here in better shape than I've got it. And we've really made some strides. Our soil biology is exploding. We've got uh, one the highest test that Burley County's ever tested in total biology in the soil. And, you know, it's a journey. I don't know if I'll ever get to where I want to be, but I'm going to keep trudging up that hill of trying to improve this resource that, that uh, God gave us and improve it for generations to come. And then tell the story to the public of what we're doing. And I can tell you from the folks that come here, when they see that, when they hear that story, they get excited. And I think agriculture really needs to improve that image to the consumer. I I agree completely. And, 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 you know, in in times like this year when we've had a really slow crop year. We've had a lot of crazy weather events happen. It's nice to hear some positive news and positive stories from from people that work in the industry. And I hope that you've shared some of your story that makes people at home listening today thinking, okay, if he can do it, I can do it too, and sharing that positive message. Jerry, I really appreciate you coming on today. You bet. Well, we all know agriculture is not simple. It doesn't get any easier but I'm an optimist. It's fun to see some positive things happen. And we kind of have to change our own destiny a bit. You know, if we continue to do the same things over and over, you generally get the same results. And my kids taught me that, you know, it wasn't always easy for me to embrace the new ideas either. And that's part of our problem in agriculture. We're pretty, you know, we're pretty entrenched in, in the ways we've done it for generations. But I had to learn a valuable lesson, and I'd like your listeners to know that. Sometimes you've got to move out of the way a bit. And that's hard for us in agriculture. But I had to learn that, hey, these new ideas aren't all bad. And and it creates excitement, improves your quality of life, and in our case, it improves your bottom line. Absolutely. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for joining today. You bet. It's fun to be with you. 
All right. Well, big thanks to Jerry for taking time to have that conversation, Delaney. Absolutely. Really interesting stuff. And I think it's just neat that he was able to bring back all three of his sons to the farm, but made them bring an idea of their own to ensure that there was profitability on their operation. That's the key. You know, we'd love to have uh, more family members involved, but unless it's sustainable, it's just not going to fly. Absolutely, Mike. I don't know where you were going with that one, but... You know, I don't either. I was going to make some kind of a comment, but I my brain just kind of blanked out on me. But, listeners, my brain doesn't always go blank. In fact, Delaney and I oftentimes have really decent conversations on this podcast, <laughs> and you can get caught up on past episodes of it by visiting our website at agnewsdaily.com. It'll take you direct to our home at the Global Ag Network. Check in with us, check in with all the other podcasters who are there as well, or, as always, visit us on social media. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily, and we shall appear. Delaney, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.